Study John's Gospel, chapter 4. That's where we're going to be, John's Gospel, chapter 4. The title of this message today is Buying Without Money. Is this too loud? Sounds a little bit loud or not? Is it okay? Um, so, <clears throat> last uh, couple of messages have been entitled High Noon, and I explained to you uh, the reason for that. Uh, Jesus Christ is the light that lighteth every man that cometh into the world. And the day had come in the life of this woman in Samaria that God's promise was going to happen with her. It'd be very personal, very personal with God. He's not willing that any should perish, but all come to repentance. And he is no respecter of persons. And these are leading thoughts all throughout this chapter. Leading thoughts. God is no respecter of persons. The relationship between the Jews and the Samaritans was filled with prejudice. And the Jews looked down on the Samaritans as being unclean, not as holy as they were, and so forth. But we can see here the Lord... Uh, must needs go down to Samaria because he's not like we are. He doesn't think the way we do. His ways are not our ways. And from his perspective, he must needs go down there. And the truth is, he must needs come to whosoever will on the face of the entire earth regardless of their pedigree, every man must needs uh, understand what the Lord Jesus meant when he said this, the Son of Man must be lifted up. He must be lifted up. We notice the importance of this word in our last study John the Baptist said, he must increase, I must decrease. That's true of everybody on the face of the earth, whosoever will. No one can get saved unless the Lord is lifted up and we decrease to the point of realizing what we deserve, and that is to be condemned forever. And that's the truth. Whether people believe it or not, it's the truth. But here we see this fourth must where the Lord is making it perfectly clear that he does not think the way we do. And as we look out round about among the human race, uh, all of us are affected with prejudice in some form or other. It's our nature. And we cannot uh, change our nature. There's prejudice in this church. Prejudice in our relationships with one another. There's 
some people we don't want anything to do with. God is not like that. He doesn't think that way. His ways are not that way. He practices what he preaches. He sure does, and he did. And he was practicing what he was preaching right here in this chapter. And he was demonstrating the difference between being holy and being ungodly. And prejudice is an ungodly characteristic of the old nature that we're born with, which cannot be converted, as we learned in a previous message uh, some months ago that I brought here. There are certain things that can be converted and must be, but there's that which cannot be converted, and that's the old nature. And so even after we get saved, we discover that every day we have to put that old man to death because the old man does not die just one time the way the Lord did. That's another difference between us and the Lord. He died once. For all, forever. But we have to die daily. It's important to think about that. It's important to understand that every day we're going to have this battle with the nature we were born with. And the only remedy, practical remedy, is dying daily. And the truth is, moment by moment. Walking in the Spirit. Praying without ceasing. Because we're one thought away from disaster. One act away from a display of the prejudice of the old nature. And it doesn't matter if you're saved. It's a sad thing to realize, but it's the truth. And so the reasoning behind it, the best I can understand it from Scripture, is because... Um, the Lord wants us to understand and grow every day in our understanding of the so great a death that he delivered us from and the so great salvation he's saving us to. And that is not possible without spending every day and every moment of every day realizing the difference between God and ourselves and our nature. This is critically important. This is another reason why we need to get up every day and spend time alone with the Lord. I think that's one of the greatest indicators of genuine salvation that I know of is a desire to be with the lover of our souls, a desire to be like him rather than the way we are.
the understanding that he is the only one that can give us his likeness and uh, in such a way that we're able to practice his likeness. It's him that worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure, moment by moment. So all these kinds of thoughts are important and it really goes to the promise of the Lord to whosoever will, this message is to whosoever will. And there's gonna be a high noon experience in the life of every person that's ever been born. Some, at some point, somebody's gonna to come to you and witness to you about the light. That lighteth every man that cometh into the world. And the biggest problem you're gonna have after that is the only enemy you've ever had, the one you were born with, is called the free will. Because you get up every day and you make a decision, a practical decision about how you're gonna spend your time and what you're gonna do with your life. Are you gonna live it for yourself or are you gonna live it for the Lord? Let me tell you something, folks, that, real, that issue right there is one of the great telling differences between people who are genuinely saved and people who think they are. It's that thought. There's got to be a practical side of this profession of faith. And so these are the kinds of things that we learn as we study the scripture, but as we're gonna see as we progress through the message for today, we're gonna understand a little better the title of this message for this week, Buying Without Money. Buying Without Money sounds, sounds like a contradiction, but a lot of what the Lord has to say appears to be a contradiction on the surface, but it's not when you really study it and understand why he says things the way he does. So he's got a reason. The first thing I wanna do, I, I don't think we've touched on this yet. In verse one of chapter four, when therefore the Lord knew how the Pharisees had, had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, Though Jesus himself baptized not but his disciples, he left Judea and departed again into Galilee. So the reason he left uh, Judea, he had been in Jerusalem, and he was traveling north from Jerusalem into Judea, which is north of Jerusalem, headed that way. Samaria is north, and the next place he would come to would be Galilee. So if you look at a map, uh, you'll see that he's journeying from Jerusalem up north toward Galilee of the Gentiles. And uh, there's a reason he's leaving down there in Jerusalem. It's because... Oh, verse 1, when therefore the Lord knew 
how the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John. See, this was uh, this this goes right to the nature of man. Envy and jealousy. Boy, that's the way we are. Envy and jealousy. As oh, somehow or other, we're these great servants of the Lord, and we discover things out of the Bible that no one else knows but us, and and we do things that are praiseworthy, and we need people to recognize us and all this kind of stuff. Um, we're so self-centered, it's unbelievable. And that nature doesn't change after you get saved. Not a bit. It'll be with you every day until you die. And the Lord will give you an opportunity to prove that you understand what he says. And that is, what hast thou but what thou hast received? What do you know? That someone has not taught you either indirectly or directly from me out of the word, out of the scriptures. You don't know anything worth knowing. No one does. I don't. I don't know anything worth knowing. Never have. Everything that I know as a teacher is a result of what I have learned from other people through hearing preaching or through reading books or because the Lord shows me something out of his word, but it's still not me. It's in the book. It's right there. What do I know? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. That's true of all of us. We don't know anything. And the Lord said you can't do anything. So when it comes to his thoughts and his ways, we're failures in both of those departments. We don't know anything. Without him, we will be ever learning and never able to come to a knowledge of the truth. And without his spirit, his Holy Spirit working in us, we could never apply what we learn, ever. The Lord said, without me, ye can do nothing. John 15 and verse 5. So these are critically important thoughts. And so the Lord recognizes that uh, <clears throat> there's this envy and jealousy on the part of the Pharisees because they were envious of him. They were jealous of him. They wanted to be the one that multitudes followed rather than the multitudes following Christ. And so in order to bring Christ down, they decided, well, best thing for us to do is drive a wedge out there in that multitude of people that are following him. Because Jesus Christ is just like we are. He's, he's jealous. He's envious too. And if we put the word out that John the Baptist has baptized more people than he is, then we'll be like a lot of these preachers around here in Moore County and the state of North Carolina that are so proud of all the people that come down the altar, so proud, so proud of it. 
so proud of all the baptisms that I have, and they broadcast it all over the place. So proud of it. So proud of the size of the church and the marquee that usually uh, decorates the, the front of the church so that the pastor can talk about the numbers, the numbers. So proud of the numbers. We don't find that in Christ. I mean, he shut down everything to go visit one woman. One woman with the truth. They weren't interested in the multitudes. If you want to know the disposition of God, the holy God toward the multitude, then you'd have to take a look at the, the wide gate and the broad way that leads to death and destruction. Many there be that go in there at. The Lord looks down from heaven and he weeps because a vast multitude of people could care less about him. All they care about is themselves. And that's what the Lord sees. Um, and so when it comes to the multitudes, we should not get too encouraged when we have a lot of people that are patting us on the back and following us around and stuff like that. The Lord was not impressed with it. And when the Pharisees tried to stir up uh, a rift between the followers of John the Baptist and the Lord Jesus, uh, it fell flat. And the Lord is letting us know right here in this passage um, how he thinks. He thinks about the one. Not the many, but the one. Jesus Christ would have died on Calvary's cross for just you alone sitting out there this morning. For me, right by myself, alone. If there was no one else in the world, he would have gone to the cross of Calvary and died for me. He would, he would search for that one sheep that was lost. If there were a hundred, he would go after the one and give it his undivided attention. That's what John chapter 10 is really all about. What the Lord will do for one person. We need to think about these things as we go about our life and think about the people we have anything to do with in this world. And so the Lord leaves this area because of this effort to drive a wedge between the followers of John the Baptist, who was a great man. He had a great following. He had a lot of people following him. Matter of fact, the Pharisees were jealous of that too. Because the two main figures that had a following were John the Baptist and Jesus Christ. But no one ever in the history of the world has ever had the fame of Jesus Christ. 
His fame went throughout all Syria. Great multitudes followed him everywhere. People get up every day and study this book that he has written. There is no one that has ever been on this earth that could do what he did, and he did. He would go into all the cities, all the villages, heal every one of their sicknesses and the death. He could raise the dead. There was nothing he couldn't do. The wind and the waves obeyed him. He proved over and over that he was a creator God. The world could not contain the books that should be written of all that Jesus did. There's no personality that has ever been as famous as Jesus Christ. Why? Because the Lord wants to make sure that the world is without excuse when it comes to knowing him and who he is, his identity. The whole Bible is about that. It's about identity. It's about knowing God. And he... Uh, through his wisdom and providence has made it possible for us to know the Godhead, which is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, just by what he made. The invisible things of him, you don't even have to see him to know. We're without excuse. The invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead. What is Godhead? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And it's so clear in what he did. We're without excuse, and that's what it says in Romans chapter 1 and verse 20. But then in verse 2, it says, Though Jesus himself baptized not, but his disciples. So the question is, and some have wondered, did Jesus Christ ever baptize anybody? And the answer is, no, he didn't. He was baptized by John the Baptist, but he didn't baptize anybody. He never did. And so the question is, why? And that's why it's important to study the Bible and study it always with the forefront, uh, the thing in the forefront of your mind is a question, a question. That's how I study the Bible. I read something and I, I ask myself, well, why? Why do you say that? Why do you say verse 2? Though Jesus himself baptized not. Well, it tells us right there that he didn't baptize. I mean, how complicated is that? It's not complicated at all. But it might be a little bit deeper to understand how to explain to somebody um, why he did not baptize. Well, I'm going to give you some thoughts. 
as to why he didn't. Uh, and the first thing is, and there's a lot of passages we'd have to turn to see all this, and I'm going to try to give you this lesson without turning to them so that we can cover a little bit more ground. And you can look these things up if you want to, but 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 10 through 16, the Apostle Paul is talking about why he was not that interested in baptizing anybody. And if you understand why Paul, even though Paul did baptize, very few, you can understand it's the key that sort of unlocks the door to understand why Jesus Christ didn't baptize at all. And it's because of the nature of man. I mean, listen, what if you were baptized by somebody like Billy Graham? Oh, I was baptized by Billy Graham. Oh, I got saved in so-and-so's church. You know, that famous person, whoever. Well, doesn't that make us special? That's the key to understanding why the Lord Jesus didn't baptize. People would associate their salvation with the fact that he baptized them. The Lord didn't want anybody walking around thinking that they were saved because they were baptized, because baptism in and of itself saves no one. And that's what you learn by studying the Bible. Well, what did the thief on the cross do? Did he take a break off of the cross and go to church, get baptized, and then crawl back up on the cross so he could be saved? Because there are people who actually believe you can't be saved unless you're baptized. Well, that's because he don't study the Bible. The reason the thief was tied up there on that cross, hands and feet, it's because the Lord wanted us to understand he couldn't do anything. He couldn't work with his hands. He couldn't go anywhere. The only thing that man could do was look at the one who was hanging on the cross there in the middle and believe who he was. It had to do with identity. Believing who he was. He that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. And uh, the thief on the cross did the only thing that anybody can do to get saved. And that's why the Lord turned him into a preacher with just a simple sentence or two that's all it took. He didn't have a lot to say. He said a few things to the fellow on the other side of him there. That was a criminal who deserved to die. But he was doing a lot of thinking, which is a lot of people do not do. And that's think. The world's full of people too busy to think 
Well, that man was hanging on the cross and he was doing some thinking. I don't know altogether what he was thinking. The Bible doesn't tell us. But what the Bible does tell us is that his fame went throughout all Syria. Great multitudes followed him. The world could not contain the books concerning what he did. I think that it's simple logic that the thief on the cross had some idea about all of these things that could have been written so much that the world could not contain the books. And I would imagine he was up there thinking about some of these things. And I would imagine he was thinking about why Christ would be manifesting the disposition that he had while he was being crucified. I mean, he never defended himself. Um, when he was asked certain questions, uh, he wouldn't answer. Uh, he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Who's going who's to do that when somebody's killing you? Doing to you what they did to him? Folks, the bloodiest mess the world had, could ever witness was the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. It's the most horrible event in the history of the world. There's nothing to compare to it. The insults, the spitting, the things that were done to him, the beatings, it's amazing. And this man was observing all of that and he was thinking, he was thinking. And all of a sudden, <clears throat> it dawns on him, this man is not normal at all. As a matter of fact, I don't believe anybody could be the way he is unless he was God. And that man became convinced concerning his identity. He that comes to God must believe that he is God, the creator. He had probably even heard, because I'm sure the disciples told it, that even the wind and the waves obey him. Who could raise the dead? Who could create eyes and put them in the head of a man born blind? Who could do that? Who could say, rise up and walk, and immediately the person rise up and walk? I think he had heard about all those things. And so he preaches his simple little sermon. The thief on the cross preached a simple little sermon. Remember me 
remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And that was it. The only thing that the man ever did in the way of works was a simple request. Remember me. And so the Lord Jesus saved him. He told him right there on the spot. He said, this day shalt thou be with me in paradise. I was studying that. I say this a lot many years ago. And it was out of that passage and that exchange that it dawned on me that it does not matter what your profession and claim to salvation is. It's only what God says it is. So as we sit here this morning, as we gather here this morning and fellowship together, we need to think about this afresh. The world will very quickly, and those in the world, testify concerning their relationship with God and their destiny in terms of eternal life. I'll tell you that. But their faith is bottom up. That's dangerous. Saving faith is top down. It's not your faith toward God, it's God's faith toward you. Folks, let me tell you something. The difference between heaven and hell is what you're hearing right now. The Lord Jesus told that thief, this day shalt thou be with me in paradise. So what is the basis for eternal security? I can tell you what it is. The Bible tells us. That's the only way I can tell you. God has to tell you that you're saved. It's his spirit that testifies with our spirit that we are the children of God. It's not our spirit testifying to his spirit that we're the children of God. It's his spirit. He is the judge. We're not the judges. I mean, even in our judicial system, we don't go into a courtroom and declare our innocence and then walk out. We go in there with certain evidence that's either for us or against us, and the judge makes that decision. Salvation is top down. And it's in our interest when we're witnessing the people to bring these things out. Otherwise, we might be guilty of encouraging people in a false profession of faith. And I'm telling you, it's epidemic. There's a multitude of people in this world today that think they're saved and they're not. I do not say that because that's my conclusion. I say that because it's God's conclusion. There'll be many that say unto me in that day, Lord, Lord. The people he's talking to are not, not drunkards up here sitting at the bars getting drunk every night. The people that are saying this to him are church-going people. 
with lamps that have no oil in them. I'm talking about Bible-toting, false-professing Christians claiming to be saved that are not. They're not saved. That's what the parable of the ten virgins is all about. Half of the people that walk around with the Bible under their arm are not saved. In that illustration. And in that illustration of the ten virgins, we're talking about a very small element of people in the whole world that go to church on a regular basis, that memorize scripture, that cast out devils, that do many wonderful works, but are not saved. And it's because they've never had a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, like the thief on the cross had. And he looked to him and he said, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And Jesus Christ told him right there on the spot, this day you're going to be with me. In paradise, you're not going to be dead. You're going to be alive. Listen, if you're sitting here in this meeting this morning, If you have ever questioned whether or not you're saved, you need to listen very, very carefully to what you're hearing. Because I'm telling you that salvation is just that simple. I don't care what you have ever done. The thief on the cross was a thief. What good could you say about this man? Why, even the world hated him and was putting him to death for reasons that were absolutely justified, and he knew it and said so. We deserve what we're getting, but this man, what has he done? He hasn't done anything. He saw the innocence of Jesus Christ, but he saw his own guilt, and God saved that man. You mean to tell me a person could come to Sunday school and go out these doors today and still not know how to be saved? I don't see how that's possible. I really don't. And I'll tell you how impossible it is to walk out the door and be lost. I'll tell you how impossible it is. Because the Bible describes it this way. There's no one who wants you to be saved more than Jesus Christ. No one. He's not willing that any should perish, all can repentance. And so he turns around and he focuses on the world. And he says, okay, you want to be saved? And here's what he says. To him that cometh unto me, I will in no wise cast out. Now you tell me, now think about it. We're thinking about the desire of God encountering the desire of a person who wants to be saved. 
it is impossible for it not to happen when you see it that way. And all a person has to do is desire to be saved and know because God does not lie. He said, if you come to me, I will in no wise cast you out. He didn't cast the thief out. Jesus Christ didn't say to him, well, you're too bad. You've done too much wrong so long, I just can't bring myself to do it. That is not what Jesus Christ said. If it's not of works, I'll tell you what, you can sit here in this church every day of your life since birth, come to every meeting, sing the songs, have your Bible, and do all these things, and die and lose your soul forever. If you do not understand the message, the way the Lord presents it concerning the thief on the cross. He never did anything. And you don't have to either. Just look and live. And receive the faith that God has in himself that cannot lie when he says to him that cometh unto me, I'll in no wise catch you out. I'm telling you, it is impossible not to get saved when you have a desiring Savior and a desiring lost person that wants to be saved. And that's what the Bible teaches. That is the only way that this man right here can know that he has eternal life. But I know what I'm talking about. I sure do. I know that what I've just explained is the truth because it's right here in the book. That's where I found it, right here in the book. And so the reason the Lord did not baptize in verse 2 is because he did not want to cause division. He wants to be no part of that. And he did not want to give anybody the impression that somehow or other they had the hope of eternal life because Christ actually put them under the water and brought them up. Salvation is not a works, folks. It's free will. And I'll tell you why people are going to go to hell forever. It's because they personally decided they didn't want it. They turned away from that invitation and said, I don't want it. I've decided I'm lost. That's just the way it's going to be. I'm going to die and go to hell, and there ain't nothing I can do about it, nor God either. And that's exactly right, and that's exactly where they'll go if that's their attitude. The other thief on the cross died and went to hell. So the Lord puts those two individuals up there for us to think about. Which one are you going to be? Those that are out there in Sermon Audio land. 
I hope people are listening. I sure do. I hope people are listening because it's in the book. It's right here in the Bible. The Lord is fixing to come and people need to go, they need to get saved. Listen, folks. If you ever think about anything, I want you to think about this one. Have you ever thought about what it's like to burn in hell forever with no possibility of it ever being any different? If you turn away from the gift of God, that's where you're going. And there is no doubt about it whatsoever. You can count on it. You're going to burn in hell forever. Now, a person shouldn't trust Jesus Christ as their Savior to escape hell. He's not an escape ladder from hell. He isn't. He wants you to know him as a person. I'm telling you, the whole Bible is about identity. And if you want to get it right, you need to understand this. He saves us because he loves us. He really does. He did not save us to keep us from going to hell. He saved us because he wanted to spend the rest of all eternity with us because we're that special to him. He said to me, I will never leave you, Dwight Creech. I will never forsake you, Dwight Creech. Personal. He did that. I'm not saved because I didn't want to go to hell. I'm saved because I put my faith and trust in the integrity and the goodness of the most amazing personality the human mind could ever know, and it's Jesus Christ. There's no one so good, so merciful, so gracious, and anyone that would hear these kinds of things and lose their soul forever deserves it. They sure do. Because they don't want it. And there's no other explanation for dying lost than absolutely refusing to be converted. Turn away from self-centeredness to God-centeredness. It's the only thing that has any meaning. The other reason the Lord did not baptize is because the Lord is very protective of free will. Now, please listen to these points because it's very important as to why the Lord did not baptize. He did not want to participate in that event because he knew that in the churches, the tradition of men would make a big deal over getting baptized like a lot of preachers do. This is how many we baptized last Sunday. 
People like that scare me to death. Because to me it smacks of a false ministry and a false gospel. I don't like to hear any preacher talk about it. I don't care who he is. It's not right. Jesus Christ never boasted of anything when it came to those types of things. What he wants is for you to love him the way he loves you. That's what he wants. That's all he wants. And so he he did not baptize anybody. And the reason is because he wanted to leave the entire thing right there where it was in the Garden of Eden. It was a choice. You're going to believe the devil because you're just like him. Or you're going to believe God. And Eve chose to believe the devil. And for a short period of time there, she was a condemned soul. Absolutely condemned. On her way to hell. And it was over a free will choice. And that's what the world needs to pay attention to. If you're not saved, don't try to complicate this thing as though somehow it's just too complicated. I can't get it. Mr. Creech talks about things that are too deep. That's baloney. You won't ever hear it any simpler. I don't believe than the way it's presented by Jesus Christ. And this is where I'm getting it, right out of the book. It's in the Bible. You've got a free will, and he is not going to mess with it. By baptizing you so that you can take that and say, well, that's how I'm saved. That's not salvation. What does that have to do with loving him? Loving him. It has nothing to do with it. It has to do with pride. Well, I was baptized by Jesus. Who were you baptized with? Well, I was baptized by Jesus himself. The Lord is not going to baptize anybody because of that. The third reason he didn't baptize is because it's not the primary thing. It's not the primary thing. Some preachers preach that it is. The thief on the cross was never baptized. And God, the Savior, said, This day shalt thou be with me in paradise. Today. Preachers that make a big deal over baptism, they do not think. It makes me angry just to think about it. The preachers I know, preachers I know, Preachers that need to study the Bible and stop preaching other people's sermons. They need to study the Bible. But a lot of these preachers, just they're like parrots that parrot what they heard at the seminary or what some other preacher that they admire had to say. need to stop doing that and study the Bible. That's where you find your answer. 
And the fourth reason the Lord did not baptize is his way of emphasizing that it's not of works. It's not of works. Baptism is a work. There's nothing you can do, including getting baptized. That'll give you the hope of it of heaven. And so, again, the thief on the cross, what was his hope of heaven? It's just one thing. It's very simple. He believed Jesus Christ. He believed him. That's it. That's all you have to do is believe him. And the evidence that you have will be the kind of life that you live from that point on. You will believe him in the morning when you get up. And you're going to have a desire to study this book. And you're going to have an understanding that you've never had before, and God will give it to you. You'll have an understanding. There's a... There's several things. I wish I had time. I think my time's gone. I'm gonna I'm gonna quickly give you this because I had it in a message. What is and is not converted. True salvation begins with desire. And then you receive the faith that God has in himself. That's number two. It's not your faith. It's his faith. You receive his faith. The third thing, God's going to give you an understanding you've never had before. It's one of the greatest evidences of salvation. The fourth thing that he's going to give you is hope that you've never had before. Paul's letter to the Colossians talks about it. The hope that we have in Christ Jesus. Hope. You have hope. Without Christ, you have no hope. You're on your own without him. And the fifth thing that you're going to have is a fear of yourself. A fear of yourself that you will have the rest of your life the fear of yourself. Well, I didn't say a lot of things that I had in my notes that I was going to cover today. I felt like that these things needed to be said. And uh, so our time is gone. Jim Phil Calculus can dismiss us, brother.